Hello and welcome to Fast Charge, the weekly smartphone podcast from the team here at Tech Advisor. I am your host, Dom, joined this week by the kind of lean, mean podcasting machine of Lewis and Hannah. It's just a small group <laughs> of us this week. It is a little bit of a slow week in the tech space, but we have plenty to talk about still. We've found a way. Uh, we are going to start by talking about the OnePlus Nord N20, the uh, actually one of two phones OnePlus has launched this week, but the Nord N20 is the one launching in the States, so we are going to talk about that, and we'll probably touch a little bit on the Ace, which launched today in China, but we did talk about that a lot last week because we kind of knew what was coming. Um, then we are going to turn to the Oppo Find N, and yes, I know that is not a new phone, there's nothing brand new at all about the Oppo Find N. What is brand new is that we have one. Uh, we finally managed to get hold of one from Oppo, so Lewis, you can see if you're on YouTube, it's looking very smug about the fact that he managed very, to uh, very. shotgun the chance to review this one. <laughs> uh, so Lewis is going to talk us through what he thinks of the Find N and how that kind of shakes up in terms of the way foldables stack up in the market right now. And then finally, Hannah is with us in part to help us talk about Netflix, uh, who have had a rocky week, mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. They've uh, confirmed some subscriber loss, their share price has plummeted, they've kind of confirmed the slightly desperate-seeming move that they might introduce an ad-supported tier in the future, and there's a lot of rampant speculation going around about whether Netflix has finally peaked. Uh, and how much trouble they're in. And we will discuss all of that, discuss whether we think an ad tier is a solution, and I think also discuss whether whether or not all of the panic is a little bit overblown, mm -hmm. uh, given they are still pretty damn big. <laughs> okay, before that, some other bits and pieces from the week. Uh, first off, a funny st little story from, uh, from this week, from today or yesterday. Um, Google Assistant has not launched on the galaxy watch 4 um there was a moment where it looked like it was about to because verizon in the u.s issued some patch logs for like their their update for the day which had comments about how to access google assistant once you downloaded or sort of once google assistant had been downloaded where it would be on the device um then the update rolled out with absolutely no google assistant samsung has confirmed <laughs> there is no google assistant on the on the galaxy watch 4 yet um just as a recap they did promise Google Assistant support would be added, but there's no timeline on that. They still say there's no timeline. Um, this does suggest it might be around the corner, though, and no one's just willing to admit it yet. But clearly Verizon is getting ready to issue user support on Google Assistant on the Galaxy Watch 4 series. So probably it's soon, but if you you know are a Galaxy Watch 4 owner that briefly got your hopes up, I'm, I'm sorry that they may have been <laughs> cruelly dashed. Um, but while we're on kind of Google Watch uh, land, um, we've had one of the first proper leaks in a long time on the Pixel Watch, which we've known for ages is coming. We've spoken about it on the show before, but actually, and while we've had lots of leaks about release dates and things like that, we've had very little in terms of the actual hardware. Um, uh, but this week, one image came out showing what is allegedly the watch itself. Very, very simple circular design with a single uh, kind of metal crown on, on one side. What is mostly interesting, though, is that it also shows the home screen of the watch, including a pretty prominent Fitbit logo right in the middle. Ooh. So that suggests Google may finally be ready to actually integrate Fitbit 
into all of its uh, Wear OS stuff, having spent a lot of money buying the company a while ago. Um, again, this isn't really a shock. We knew it would probably be what it tried to do, because why else would Google buy Fitbit other than to incorporate it into all its main googly bits? But yeah, it looks like maybe when the Pixel Watch debuts, probably in some level at I.O. next month, so whether it's a full reveal or a tease, but that will probably also have some discussion of the software and probably how Fitbit fits into that. But I mean, it really looks like that's going to all together finally. This also corroborates with like, um, so I know that we've discussed this before and how Fitbit and Google relationship will work, but um, there was some code found on some other Fitbit devices, which implied that they will not run on Wear OS. Um, so mm. that makes sense now that it's the, the sort of relationship is not going to be like it's Fitbit hardware. It's going to be more focusing around the Pixel Watch and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think Fitbit still has to do its own thing to some extent because for better or worse, from Google's perspective, Fitbit has a very loyal audience and a large audience and a big consumer base mm -hmm. who want to upgrade and get continuity rather than upgrade and, and suddenly find themselves on a Google device with just a Fitbit logo on the back or something like that. Um, I do wonder how long it lasts if they'll, for them creating genuinely separate operating systems. I think that's not going to be the case forever because it just makes no sense to. Um, but I certainly think we'll keep seeing Fitbit hardware and separate Google hardware and software that at the very least looks different mm. even if the underlying code probably ends up being basically the same before long um okay moving on to phones vivo only just held its launch of the the x fold and the x note and the vivo pad but it has another event coming up the x80 series which is its flagship line are launching next week on monday on april 25th I've got to admit, I'm a little surprised at this. It, it had been rumoured that the launch was coming in April, but I just thought it was really too soon after the X Note and the X Fold. And, and the X80 series is nominally it's going to be its new flagship line, but the X Note and the X Fold are definitely flagships. So it's a little <laughs> odd to launch more flagships two weeks after the last flagships. Um, I'm not flagships for everyone, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what they were thinking. I'm not, one thing I wonder is if we're going to see a slight shift in the past. Uh, looking at the X70 line, you got the X70, the X70 Pro, and the X70 Pro Plus. I have the Pro right here, and, actually. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, I do wonder if maybe the Pro Plus won't appear this time, mm -hmm. and that will have been kind of folded into what the X Note is, and they'll kind of essentially seed that top 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 spot to the x note yeah. and then the x80 and the x80 pro will be flagship but like a little lower the differences were kind of not super super massive were they between the pro and the pro plus if I remember no right. not vast there's been basically almost all of it came down to slight tweaks to the camera spec from yeah. what i remember mm -hmm. um and, and the design of the camera module changed a little bit too but almost everything else about the phones was the same i i think mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for that. I always talk about how I love the X70s, so I'm really curious to see what they have coming up with the X80 line uh, on Monday. Then OnePlus. Talk about a few OnePlus bits before we talk properly about the OnePlus. So first up, <laughs> they did launch a phone today that we're not really going to talk about in depth. That is the OnePlus Ace. It has launched in China. We spoke about this last week. It is basically the Realme GT Neo 3. It is also basically, we think the OnePlus 10R, which is launching next week in India. 
Um, everything we know so far suggests these are identical phones. So this is probably the 10R. We now know what the 10R is, basically. Um, the only interesting bits here in terms of changes from the Realme um, are the design has been tweaked a little bit. Uh, it doesn't have the racing stripe. It's got this kind of subtler ridge design. Um, the RAM and storage configurations have changed slightly. The MediaTek Dimensity 8100 returns, but here it is the Dimensity 8100 Max, which is a slightly customized version of the chip. I really do not think this will make any meaningful difference to anyone, but technically it's not the it's same It's a chip. marketing difference. Yes. <laughs> uh, they say it's been optimized for sort of night photography and games and one other thing, but I think really it's going to be very, very minor differences in practice. Um, yeah. And uh, the final biggest difference, arguably, is there's only one version. You might remember the GT Neo 3 launched with two versions with different batteries and charging speeds. You get a big battery and 80-watt charging or a slightly smaller battery and 150-watt charging. Uh, the OnePlus Ace only comes in the fast-charging 150-watt smaller battery option. And from what we've seen, that's probably going to be the same for the 10R as well. Uh, I think this makes a lot of sense. OnePlus is not really the kind of... It was weird for Realme to launch two versions of the same phone with different specs. It would be really weird for OnePlus to do it because simplicity tends to be a big part of the way they push their products and their branding. And I always thought it would be an odd match for them to offer these different battery and charging SKUs. I mean, and it's just a headache in general <laughs> about branding differences. Yeah. Like, how are you going to go into a shop and tell them which one you want? Yeah. Especially exactly. if you're not a very techie person. Yeah. If you're not tech and you don't know uh, things about mar how they market it, marketing certain you know the specs but when the specs vary you know how do you advertise it the frustration people might have when they think they've been marketed 150 watt device and they buy it and it's not that one because they bought the wrong version it's it's messy it also undermines their core messaging because part of the reason you'd say well why should i choose the slower charging one ah battery health but their message is yeah. no 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 we've sold battery health you know the fast charging one is just as good so having the one with slower charging and a bigger battery feels like it undermines the appeal of the fast charging a bit. Yeah, it also makes sense from a branding perspective of OnePlus. Like they they always do seem like one of the ones who focus on that side of that side of tech. So like, you know, it would make yeah. sense that they would put a focus on the fast charging rather than the durable battery sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's certainly the easier sell. Um so yeah, the Ace is uh launched in China today. It goes on sale um early next week. The 10R launches uh, seven days from now on the 28th in India. We Again, everything we've seen tells us these are the same phones. Um, no particular reason yet to think either of them is going to launch in the West, though. Um, and then another bit of OnePlus news. I'm sorry today, so OnePlus-centric. But this this came out just before we started the podcast. I've been hurriedly <laughs> rearranging my news segment to, to make this fit. Um, but OnLeaks claims the OnePlus 10 is still on the way. <laughs> Oh, yes. This is a little surprising. Uh, OnePlus launched the 10 Pro and only the 10 Pro. Um, confusingly, at MWC, the OnePlus CEO, Pete Lau, actually said that the OnePlus 10 lineup would only have the 10 Pro in. Um, he's since been proved a liar because the 10R is launching next week, and I've already said that. <laughs> so already that is just complete nonsense, and it doesn't matter that he told multiple publications in a roundtable interview, oh. like he just lied. Uh, <laughs> they would must have known at that time the 10R was on the way. I'm not the one. Now, 
<laughs> yeah. And at the point, you can maybe forgive that one because I think there's, you know, I think he may have specifically said that the flagship lineup would only have, have the 10 Pro and maybe you could argue that then the 10R isn't technically a flagship from their perspective. But Semantics. if they're launching a OnePlus 10, <laughs> then they just cannot argue that's not that's not in their flagship line. They've always called them flagships. And it just seems a bit strange to launch the non-Pro after the Pro. So it's like, here's the Pro. Now here's a not as good version of the phone. Yeah, somebody yes, else I... did that. Who did that as well? That's been done before and it's just weird. It's, it has been done before. Um, it gets even weirder because apparently, according to OneLeaks, they're looking at two different chips, and this is part of the delay, is they're deciding what chip to run with it, and they're looking at either the MediaTek Dimensity 9000 or the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 Plus, which would Ooh. mean this would have a faster what? chip than the Pro. No, that makes no sense. That, that makes no It'd sense. Surely lag in camera spec and charging speed or something like that. Oh, yeah. But course, it could yeah. well technically be more powerful than its own Pro sibling. Um, this is all odd. There's other wrinkles here. There have been loads of leaks that there's a 10 Ultra on the way, so we really think there's a 10 Ultra coming. It's not clear how these fit together. I guess maybe the 10 and the 10 Ultra launch together if this is true the other oddity yeah. as we've spoken before on the show there's a the oppo reno 8 on the way which from what we've seen in leaked renders <laughs> has the exact same design as the 10 pro from the camera oh, module yes. so we thought that that might be the one plus 10 but leaks on the chip of that say it comes with a snapdragon 7 gen 1 which is not what they're saying about the one plus 10 the vanilla 10 so OnePlus leaks have gotten a little messy and i think there's i would take a pinch of salt with this this one plus 10 rumor even though it comes from on leaks who is generally very very reliable i think yeah. there's enough messiness to all the lineup of phones on the way and contradictions both in terms of what pete lau said officially and between the different leaks that it looks to me a lot like maybe it's just as simple as one plus is in flux they don't even know exactly what's coming out and so we're seeing different things come out in leaks but um yeah, there's at least now a, a decent chance of vanilla OnePlus 10 is launching this year, which I'd completely written off. It's just odd, isn't it? It's just odd. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about what OnePlus has actually launched this week. The Nord N20, which in its own way has a slightly weird launch. Um, this is a North America exclusive phone, which isn't that surprising. Some of the other Nord N phones have been American exclusive, so I'm not shocked by that. Um, what's more interesting, maybe, is that this is actually a T-Mobile exclusive, at least at launch. So you'll only be able to pick it up through either T-Mobile in the US or their Metro by T-Mobile sub-brand. Um, I've seen some sites reporting that it will appear on other retailers down the line, but I haven't been able to verify that for myself yet. But I think there's a chance it will couple months from now pop up on Amazon and OnePlus's website, but I'm not sure. Um, one of the the lovely little oddities about this is that the, the official price for the moment is $282. Yeah, um, I just saw that. So the what reason for that price. is, <laughs> this threw me at first until I figured it out, it's because what T-Mobile are quoting is that the cheapest you can get it for is a 11.75 a month plan on a two-year contract. Yeah. Eleven seventy five a month over two years adds up to two hundred and eighty two dollars. So those that's being bandied around as the price. It's weird because inevitably if it does appear on general retail channels in a month or two, it will have a different price. There's no way two hundred and eighty two yeah. is actually the official price you'll buy it at. And you sort of look and you say, Well, is it gonna be up or down from there? Will it just be two eighty? Or is it gonna be something 
something further away from that. I have noticed this mm. about US carriers that their monthly prices. It does make when I'm putting buying to get buying guides together makes it very interesting because they're very specific. They're like you know two eighty two a month or whatever, and it's like yeah. why is it not like yeah. ninety nine? I don't get it. Like it's very very odd. You yeah. you could say oh maybe they've worked back from the total sum, but clearly not in this case because the total is a weird <laughs> odd number. <laughs> but so is the monthly price. I I I can't, yeah. I don't want to speak to the vagaries of how T-Mobile comes up with its pricing. It, it certainly doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> anyway, the Nord N20. This is definitely a budget phone, um, as that price might give away. And it falls squarely in that OnePlus pattern for budget phones recently, which is to say it doesn't really have the core OnePlus design language you might be used to. It doesn't have the no. OnePlus alert slider um that you you may be used to getting which actually it's worth saying the ace does not have an alert slider even though that one's pretty pretty premium in terms of price um it is powered by the snapdragon 695 um which means it has 5g support so that's going to be a big deal i think as a budget 5g device in the us uh it comes with six gig of ram and 120 128 gigs of storage 4500 milliamp hour battery and 33 watt wired charging um OLED display, but only 60 hertz. Um, I Its predecessor, the N10, was a 90 hertz LCD. So they've made that kind of mm, common okay. choice to upgrade mm. to OLED, but sacrifice the refresh rate along the way. Mm -hmm. um, and you get a 64 megapixel main rear camera, but then it's just mono and macro sensors alongside it. Um, that one is a little funny, because if you look at, and, and this is not just a, a OnePlus problem, but if you look at the design of the phone, it's got two big rear lenses <laughs> and one little one. So you'd think yeah. two of those lenses are going to be good lenses with one little backup one, but actually no. Big and important ones. <laughs> one of those big ones is a big important lens. The other one is a big unimportant i'm guessing that one's the macro and the other's the monochrome but i might be wrong um but yeah the, the, it, it is really one of those triple cameras that's really a single camera i guess it looks it, like a double camera i guess it's it, they're assuming that people who are going to be buying a budget phone will like look at it and be like wow look at it it's got two cameras on it or like two big cameras on it so it's going to be good and they're not yeah. going to dig into the specs enough to be <laughs> able to you know yeah you have to suspect so yeah um the other big for me, I think a big downside looking at this phone, um, probably the biggest thing that gives me pause is it ships with Android 11. Um, and we're seeing that a bit still with, with phones on the cheaper end of the spectrum that they ship with 11 rather yeah. than 12. But it still worries me because there's no promise about how many updates this will get. No matter how, it's probably going to be a small number. And one of them is already going to be taken up by just catching it up to Android 12. And let's not forget, you know, OnePlus has Android 12 ready on other devices. It could have OnePlus, it could have Android 12 for this if it wanted to. And it's it's clearly deprioritized that. But it's another reason I'd, I'd look at this. And it's it's the biggest thing that, that concerns me, I guess, scrolling through the spec sheet for, for the N20. Especially considering, I think it's probably going to be one of the, like, we've got to be dwindling down to which devices are releasing with Android 11 now, the closer we're getting to getting to the next OS, like surely. Yeah. 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 Well, they're just in under the wire in the sense that Android 13 is going to be sort of unveiled in, in what, three weeks? Yeah. And yeah. it's going to be even harder to, to, to ship an Android 11 phone when everyone knows, You're you know, 13 has had its official unveiling and, and all of that, yeah. even though it won't be on phones for months still. But um, yeah, it, 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 I don't want to suggest that's a unique OnePlus problem. To be fair, I think if you look at, say, if you look at the Realme 9 line 
half of those ship with Android 12, half of them ship with Android 11. Um, so it's it's kind of messy and, and this isn't a unique OnePlus problem, but it is the kind of thing you see more and more of in, in the budget spaces is the cheaper phones being slow to get these. It's, like it's going to be slow to get the updates down the line no matter what. So it's yeah. worrying when it's slow to get it even out of the box. Uh, what do you guys think of the, the look of the hardware and everything other, other than that? I, it's... I, I just think it looks kind of a, a bit unremarkable, really. Like I, I like... It, well, a lot of what I love about OnePlus is the, the colorways that they come in. And this mm-hmm. sort of navy, nondescript blue it just doesn't do it for me, personally. Um, mm-hmm. I, but I, I understand that, you know, if it's a budget phone, then, you know, a lot of the time that is one of the big bigger sacrifices that's made it's made to look you know very nondescript and whatever but yeah i mean it's not the worst i've seen but compared to other phones from the line it doesn't stack up for me personally mm. no. it 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 kind of reminds me of like an iphone 5 on the rear so you've got like the angled corners and then you've also got that glass window at the bottom and the iphone 5 had that at the bottom and the top yeah but i mean apart from that um it's yeah it's just it doesn't have the the, the uh, OnePlus design language. I'm really surprised about the volume rocker because that is the signature kind of OnePlus. But they've thing, stopped putting that on a lot of the cheaper devices. Oh, have they? Yeah. Um, and especially oh. now as they're porting more hardware from from Realme or, or Oppo, I wouldn't be shocked if, if this turns out to be, uh, you know, a, a rehash of another Realme or Oppo phone, though I haven't dug through all of their recent budget devices to figure out which one it might be. But um yeah more and more on their, their their cheaper phones the alert slider isn't there i think what i what i do appreciate is that i mean this is only based on the renders i'm looking at now i don't know what it's like in real life but that hole punch camera on the front looks very small mm. it does doesn't it i thought the same yeah. and I, I wonder if that's a weird render they've used mm. um it's a funny well, one because the... there was when hole punches first started there was a rush to make them as small as possible and then yeah. everyone, and you you get press releases advertising this is the smallest hole punch you know on any phone yet only X millimeters. Um, now everyone's realised that obviously the smaller <laughs> you make it, the worse the camera is, and so there's not yeah. really a good reason to make it smaller because it's still an interruption in the display, but you're just completely destroying your selfie camera. Uh, in the same way we have with the under display ones, obviously, but at least there they do totally remove it, so you can. The compromise makes a bit more sense. Yeah, um, yeah. If that is actually the size of 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 the punch hole, then I can only assume that selfie camera is going to be god awful. But <laughs> I don't know VGA <laughs> quality. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't even think they confirmed any of the selfie camera specs. Not even a megapixel yeah, that, count. That's probably a reason <laughs> that renders yeah. anything to go it's, by. Uh, yeah, two megapixel. Yeah. 0.5 <laughs> megapixel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was trying to find some specs where I can't find anything yeah, beyond like the uh, the refresh rate display and kind of even the chipset really. Like, hey, the screen looks yeah. nice, so you know, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. Nice, nice OLED display. Yeah. I don't know, I think for yeah. me, I um, forget, um, as someone that's had so many high refresh rate phones now, I prefer the high refresh rate to the OLED. Like I just need the buttery smoothness. Really? Of, of, I, yeah. I go I back and forth on this because I would definitely take... And in a way, this is an easy one, but I would definitely take 90 hertz OLED over 120 hertz LCD, like oh, hands yeah, down. For sure. Yeah. But 60 hertz OLED versus 90 
LCD. I really go back and forth because I'm like, well, I love that 90 hertz, but then I use an LCD display and, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, I miss my OLED blacks. And I just can't reach an answer I'm happy with and have to chalk it up, (laughs) I guess, to just, yeah, that one is going to be personal preference for other people. But yeah. And what you uh, use the phone for, like, if you use it for lots of video watching and gaming, then, you know, one may be more preferential than the other. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think ultimately it's much of a muchness, especially because now it's on budget phones where people are less likely to be really buying that phone with high performance in in mind but mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah um it's it, it it's an interesting choice we again we see we see lots of budget phones making that kind of choice um overall it's a funny phone i think i don't want to beat a dead horse too much but i don't think this phone would do well in europe or asia uh, at mm-hmm. the kind of price point it's at no. But I'm sure it can do very, very well in the States. And, and OnePlus is, I think, they, they've been open that they've been kind of surprised by how well their Nord phones have done in the US. But notably, they haven't really been launching the same Nord phones in the US as they have everywhere else. And the actual core Nord line and the Nord CEs that we're getting in, in Europe and in Asia, they don't make it to the US. And for the most part, those numbered ones in the US don't make it to the rest of the world. And you have to think they're basically realizing they can kind of get away with selling a worse phone for more money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and still sell loads of them in the States, mm-hmm. whereas they just don't have to do that in, in, in Europe or Asia, or rather they, they have to put a bit more out in Europe or Asia if they want to be competitive. And it's budget 5G as well, like you were saying. Like That is a big like market that obviously is less less prominent yeah. in the US. I imagine this is going to be one of the cheaper 5G devices in the States now. I'm, I'm sure there's a couple of Motorola's kind of around there as well, but not probably not too many um, 5G phones sub 300 bucks, I, I would have guessed. I just think it's weird how limited the US phone market is. Mm. Like considering, you know, that, that America is, is typically at the forefront of, of technology, consumer technology with all these great phones and great everything. And then you look at their smartphone market and you're like, you're missing like half of the good phones on the market. <laughs> like, I just, and I don't understand. Like, can somebody, someone from America watching, please explain to me why you don't get any of these phones? Because it's just because they're all Chinese, Lewis. I don't trust them. <laughs> I, I think it them. partly comes from both ways. I think obviously <laughs> there's been the American side of of a hesitance to you know the, the bans on Huawei and, and and the like and restrictions. Equally, I think you can put half the blame as well on the Chinese brands who. There are quite a few of them yeah. who have no restrictions to stop them from operating in the US, but they have chosen not to expand there. Um, and then to flip it back around to, to the US, fundamentally, that probably just comes down to the carriers aren't interested in them. Because I think, yeah. you know, if you can't get supported by a carrier, then there's no point being in the US market. You're not going to sell any phones. Because uh, yeah, that was you know, a big thing Yeah. Yeah, when they first came out in the UK, the, the big thing was that they finally got picked up by, I think it was like O2 or someone was the first people to, yeah. to pick up by Huawei in the UK. And then from that point, they were like, right, everything is coming out here now. I think also, correct me if I'm wrong, there's less carrier choice in the US than there is like over here anyway, um, from what it's I like can two, tell. Like, yeah. They have a big three, yeah. uh, Verizon, AT&T and T-Mobile yeah. um, and then sub-brands of those. But there are other smaller ones yeah. as well, though. Yeah. yeah, I'm not an expert. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, looking at this phone as a T-Mobile exclusive, I wouldn't even be shocked if T-Mobile were involved in designing it, at least to the level of kind of dictating a bit. We want it to be around X price. We want it to have like good camera, 
oh, we don't care about the charging speed and we don't care about the chipset or, or whatever it is. I'm kind of dictating to OnePlus, right, you've got to hit these three things at this price point. And, and that's what we think our customers want. Because I know from, from speaking to, to other phone OEMs, like that is sometimes the relationship you have with carriers, especially if you're trying to break through, is they can dictate terms of it and say, hey, you give us a phone that ticks these boxes, we'll stock it. Ooh, that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if that's happened here, but I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if, if that was kind no, of the yeah. case. Um, and I, I just imagine with the other Chinese OEMs, probably comes as much down to that kind of US carrier reluctance to stock Chinese phones that they feel like they're not going to be able to sell a phone that says, you know, with Xiaomi as a, you know, all the stuff that we went through in the UK five years ago, where people are like, how do you pronounce it? And, and all of that kind of thing. And no one <laughs> oh, will buy so it if fun. they don't know how to say the name and things like that. And of course, everyone just dealt with it. But I think the US is still partly going through that thing where the three big companies are essentially gatekeepers to the market. And until one of them is willing to take a punt on a major Chinese brand, it won't happen. I love that Xiaomi and Huawei. Yeah. <laughs> and again, that's why part, <laughs> that is honestly probably part of why OnePlus can make it work because their name is in English, yeah. you know? Yeah. So if you didn't know the A, you could, everyone can pronounce it in, in the Western world. B, if you didn't know, you would assume they were an American company or an English company or, or at least a Western company or something because their name's in English. Yeah. Um, I'd be intrigued to know as well, like other brands' dominance over there, like you know, in terms of like market share, how well Apple, how, if you know Apple bigger than anywhere else, or like Samsung or whatever, and you know, I guess people. Apple are enormous yeah. there. I mean, yeah, their their market dominance. I don't know if there's any other market where they have higher market penetration than they do in the states, but they're, they're, they're big in the US, bigger than they are in the UK, certainly. Yeah. And then on the Android side, Samsung is enormous, obviously. So between yeah, them, they, um, they eat up most of the US market. Exactly. So you might just like look at it and just be like, well, you know, what is it? Is it, is it? What's the point? Is like, it worth it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just looked at some stocks, uh, some stocks, some, um, some numbers. And apparently Apple smartphones achieved a 50%, 55% share of the market in Q1 2021 in the US. Oh, wow. So yeah, 55% yeah, of all iPhones sold. Of all phones sold. All phones are um, iPhones. Yeah. 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 Pretty impressive stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's very difficult for anyone to make through. And, and in fairness, you've got to give kudos to OnePlus for all we knock the the phones they put out these days and quirks of the lineup and the release strategy and things like that that we don't necessarily love in the way we used to. Like, in terms of sales, I think they're among, you know, among the most successful they've ever been. They have US success through these cheaper Nord phones that they've never had before. And, yeah, they're probably reaping the benefits of a pretty poor US budget market, but... Mm-hmm. They're, you know, making what are essentially probably among the best phones in that poor US budget market. So they're still doing better than everyone else in capitalizing on that space, right? Exactly. And I mean, if not everybody can fork out money for a Samsung or an iPhone. So, you know, this is a space that, you know, it's good for people who just want a phone that's able to do some things, but, you know, they don't need the top of the range thing. Out totally. There. And not to yeah. sort of say harp too much on like the iPhone SE that we've, I've spoken about at length and everyone knows I don't like, but... This is a hundred bucks cheaper than that, more than a hundred bucks cheaper, and it certainly has areas. It's big drawbacks. The processor will be nowhere near the level. I suspect the main camera won't be near it. But in terms of design, in terms of kind of charging a battery, it, it beats the iPhone. And, and there's a lot of key specs people will look at and say, "I like the look of this a lot more than I like that iPhone that's a hundred bucks more." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's more to it than that. The stuff the iPhone does, this doesn't. But you can see how, if you're in that market, this is the kind of thing that might begin to eat away at apple's 
control of at least the lower end of the US market. Yeah. Or well, you might actually force them to do a decent budget iPhone next time. Imagine I know. I mean, we can only hope. <laughs> Everything we've seen so far is that sales of the new SE have been, I don't, maybe bad is too strong, but disappointing, I think, and certainly yeah. lesser than, than the, the model two years ago. So I think maybe it's hard to see Apple throwing out another SE two years from now that's a repeat on the theme because there's clearly diminishing returns. And I feel like we've hit the point where they'll, they have to do something different to pull the SE back up. There can't be that many cases left of the iPhone 8 at this point. (laughs) No, exactly. They've got to be running out of all those parts they're trying to use up. Uh, Okay, Uh, I think that's probably enough on the Nord N20, which, uh, you know, is in itself not a desperately exciting phone. It is, um, it's not actually out now in the US, I think, but it is out next week from the 28th of April. It's available to buy if you are are interested. And yeah, only through T-Mobile or Metro by T-Mobile. And uh, we, I think there's, as I said, there's some talk that it may be launching more widely after that, but we're not sure so far. And I wouldn't really expect it outside of North America. Let's move from one BBK company to another, uh, the Oppo Find N, which, as we think we said on the show before, is now rumored to maybe relaunch at some point as a OnePlus foldable. So this is, you Ooh. know, potentially relevant to OnePlus fans. But the Oppo Find N... Um, Launched, I think, the end of last year, if I've got it right, um, in in China. So it is a China-only phone. But there is, to my knowledge, a single Oppo Find N in the UK that's been slowly working its way around a handful (laughs) of tech publications. Uh, And right now it's with us. So we have what may be the UK's only Oppo Find N, though I suppose I'm sure some importers have gotten hold of them. Um, Oh, for sure. Lewis, what's what's your headline? What's the headline take on this? Um, I think this is probably the best foldable that we've seen so far in terms of design. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, that. I mean, just look at it. It looks like a normal phone from the outside. Like that cover display is normal proportion. It's an eighteen by nine display, um, and it's small. It's five point four nine inches. So, like, it's not. It, you know, it could not only just be the best foldable. It could be the best small screen phone. I, yeah, I have to say the proportions they've chosen are really interesting because it is a smaller, yeah. or at least smaller diagonal. I mean, it's, it's thick. Yeah, it's, but, but <laughs> yeah, because they've gone for a sort of smaller proportions when it's closed in terms of the screen size, that yeah. makes up for a bit for the fact that it's obviously thick, and they just can't do anything about the fact that it's going to be thick. You know, yeah, it, it's exactly. going to be a deep phone because it's two phones folded over. Mm-hmm. But if you then make it enormous as well it's just unwieldy by making it compact i don't mind so much the fact that it's it's a bit thick right this is the thing because the the, my one complaint about other foldables like the samsung and the huawei is that the outer displays just look a bit dumb like especially samsung's one that 26 by 9 aspect ratio whatever it looks like a remote control like it is not usable in any way shape or form so to go from something like that to something that is a more traditional smartphone size was you know that was welcome for me and you know to be honest I use this screen a lot more than I expected I would um, mm. just because it is just, you know, it's a normal screen and obviously you can't always access the, the big boy on the inside. Oh, well, yeah. When, when you quickly grab the phone, just cause you just want to do something like really quickly reply to a text, or if you've only got one hand or something, you're just going to use the outer display. So it needs to be exactly. good. And that has been, as you say, one of the big headaches with, uh, with the Samsung, I haven't used it, but if you look at the Xiaomi Mix Fold, the outer display doesn't look very appealing there either. No. Um, and um, I had the same yes, experience with the the Huawei Mate X2, where I was very 
while I was reviewing that, I was very surprised by how much I used the outer display. And it is because, again, I think that one also has a, does a good job of making that outer display usable and attractive usable. and, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, cause, because the, uh, you know, this, the inside uh, aspect ratio is basically square. I think it's 8.4 by 9 is the, the official aspect ratio. So one side is mm. ever so slightly longer than the other, but it's essentially perfectly square. And as you know, not a lot of apps are designed for perfectly square screens because <laughs> you don't really have them anywhere. So um, not all apps play very nice with this. You can force every app on the on the phone to you know work in full screen, but it won't work properly in full screen. Yeah. So like some apps like Instagram do not play well with this kind of form factor. The, the images take up the whole screen. You have to scroll down just to see one image in its entirety. Yeah, its portrait. Uh, so for apps like that, they literally it's the front screen all the way because I want that traditional smartphone experience uh, for when I'm going for apps that don't work. It's always Instagram, screen. isn't it? They're the worst offender for optimizing for different screen sizes. They are just a headache. How do they not have an iPad app? Absolutely awful. Is there even, they were one of my headaches on the iPhone SE because it's kind of the opposite problem. That screen is so small that in yes. the Instagram proportions, it actually often can't fit a whole post on the screen at once. But it's the same thing. You kind of look and it's like just it must be able to optimize, optimize this app it. better to yeah. fit different dis- display well, sizes. Well, this is what I mean, always lay on stuff. Other apps, other apps have optimized uh, for, the, for the square aspect ratio really well. Like it works nicely with Reddit and Twitter yep. and stuff like that. It's, and Facebook's fine as well. It's just Instagram that just does not yeah, play well Facebook with these weird Facebook can do it. Ratios. Why can't Instagram exactly. do it? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, the I think my only complaint about the front-facing display is i mean it's not quite um hd it's just under hd resolution so it's fairly low res what is it as it's in it's not it. it's not full hd no it's just under 977 by right yeah or something like that huh. um <clears throat> but very close and, but yeah that's funny yeah very close but just under <laughs> technicalities um but i think the bigger complaint i mean you can't really see it when you're using it like it doesn't look like yeah, a low res it's, display it's me, so but... close to full hd that in practice it might yeah. not be i think exactly yeah. <laughs> Couch that like it is really really close to full hd <laughs> um but yeah my complaint is that it's 60 hertz it's mm. they've they've not mirrored it like um like with samsung and yep. that 120 hertz across because yeah the internal display is 120 hertz the out the exterior is 60 and that's the the one jarring thing that when, when you transition from one to the other if you're going from the middle display to uh, the inside display to the cover display you're like oh this does feel a bit sluggish when you've had that smooth scrolling. you almost wish they were both 60 because at least you would notice yeah. you just get used exactly. to the refresh rate you have like if you're on a 60 hertz phone if, if you know for us coming from fast refresh rates it's jarring at first but your brain just adjusts mm-hmm. and you go and then it becomes yeah. normal because it's what was normal for a decade of the smartphone industry um but yeah, going back and forth between 60, you're going to notice every time. So it's always yeah. going to be there in your head. That it's immediately the front noticeable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that inside. Let's talk, I mean, let's talk about the hinge first, because this thing, I wish I had a bit of, I'm going to try it with, with this um, leaflet here, because this hinge, there is no gap in this whatsoever. Mm. Like it is completely sealed and you can put like paper and stuff like that inside the fold, close it and it will hold it in place. Nice. There yes. is no given that whatsoever it's a, um, a flexi hinge right isn't it you can yeah so it's, it's a teardrop yeah. so the um i don't know if you'll be able to see it on the camera but yeah as you open it, it kind of folds out from the bottom and mm-hmm. which is basically what they all do now really. yeah yeah that's that's kind of the default um yeah. way to kind of do this kind of book style foldable um but when you're looking you know face on there's no crease there at all like I, when i'm looking at it straight on there is nothing that i can see that 
you know, looks horrible. You do have a slight ridge right across the central hinge, obviously, because it's there's a hinge there. Um, but even, I mean, that's not really an issue because you don't swipe centrally on a big kind yep. of a big display like this. So it's, it's something you very rarely notice. And even when you do, it's not as dramatic as it was. I remember it being with the original Huawei foldables and the early Samsung ones where they were really like, oh, that's where the hinge is. This, you don't really get that with this. It's only when you're kind of looking at if like someone's sitting next to me, they'll be like, oh, that's a foldable because they can see a little ripple in the reflection. But Yes, looking on. at it from an angle, it's, it's more visible, but head on. Yeah, but head on is absolutely beautiful. Uh, yes, an LTPO 120 hertz AMOLED um, with a yes, a dynamic refresh rate works really nicely. And yeah, it's it's just it's a joy to use it on the big screen. Uh, not for everything, like I was saying, some apps are a bit jank. Um, they don't quite load properly. <laughs> That's the yep. only way I can describe it. Um, but the, the things like uh, googling things and and reading news and stuff like that, like I've never enjoyed just reading stuff on my phone more than I have while using this. And just like googling random things i'm like oh do you know what? and it's just a full a full screen experience yep. uh compared to what you used to with your phone and it's just yeah it's it's dynamic i, I also learned that because it's you can lock the um the angle yeah that's what i meant yeah when steps. i was yep. yeah 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 so you can kind of uh, have it at whatever kind of angle you want you can push it right back uh, so you can actually have your keyboard on the bottom half of the screen and your window on the mm-hmm. top so you can use it like a laptop kind of type like yep. a mini like laptop like a blackberry <laughs> oh, it's so good <laughs> um but and then there's obviously the the kind of tweaks uh, the, the software um features are kind of enhanced as well you can uh, drag your fingers down the middle of the display to kind of do side by side split screen in traditional kind of 16 by 9 aspect ratio so yeah if you do want to run apps side by side you can do that i mean it's not really something that i found i did very often i don't think it's something that anyone does very often mm. <laughs> to be but, honest but i think it is probably the appeal of these phones for a lot of people you know i think the kind of user who does multitasking is the kind of user who's looking at big foldables yeah for sure because that's it's um, definitely one of the things they do comfortably better than regular slab phones and so if you are that kind of user there's gonna be a selection bias of the kind of people looking at this but there's gonna be a lot more of them who are multitaskers because that's going to be half the appeal of a phone like this yeah Yeah. the way i and it's, it's oh sorry go on Oh, on, no, I was just going to say the way I look at it is I, th- I feel like most people who will be buying this are, you know, the ones that don't want a phone and a tablet. They want something that can, you know, be able to do all of exactly. those sorts of yeah. Yeah. Uh, tasks, be able to like watch videos on it and it have like a really good experience rather than having to strain your eyes and looking down at a small phone yeah. screen and stuff like that. And it's so nice just to have the ability to transfer from a small screen to a big screen when you're doing whatever it is. Because, you know, you'll start on the small screen just replying to a text or anything like that. And you know, like, oh, hang on whack it open yep. and you you know you, you're flying and the good thing is you continue doing whatever it is that you're doing on your internal display and then you just close it and then you you can either leave it or you can swipe up and you'll yep. be taken back to wherever it is that you were doing uh beforehand uh i should probably talk a little bit about the cameras yeah because the cameras are actually pretty good um so with the uh, z fold 3 i think it's a trio of 12 megapixel cameras isn't it i um, think that's right yeah there may be one of them that's 10 i'm not sure but um so yeah so and it's not quite huawei level because huawei went the opposite way and went you know full-on flagship like these yep. are the best cameras ever made and put them in the phone this isn't the same camera selection as you'll find in like the x5 pro uh much to my disappointment because that would have been lovely but um and, it, and it's not surprised. even the cameras in the x3 pro you know it's still no. sub what they had in their flagship last year yeah um 
but I mean, despite that, I've been, you know, genuinely surprised by how good these cameras are and, and kind of the results that you get. So, um, so yeah, you've got a main 50 meg snapper. Um, and there is, I'm going to have to look at the specs for this one because I never remember which way around it goes. So yeah, it's a 13 megapixel telephoto. Um, it is only two times, so it's not quite as expansive as, as what you'll get from standard flagships, but I think that's fairly normal for the um, foldable space where you need space. You, know, you need to get rid of as much space as you can. Uh, and there's also a 16 megapixel, 123 degree ultra wide. Um, I mean, you know, the setup itself sounds fairly standard, but I was impressed by the consistency between the mm. cameras um, and the kind of the the temperature and, and the color range and stuff like that. It was genuinely kind of hard to tell between some of the pictures, aside from the obvious angle changes, um, what was what. And um, in particular, contrast and like HDR performance was incredible. Like um, really? obviously we've had lovely weather here recently, so perfect time to test out what it's like in kind of direct bright sunlight. So I took a picture just of a scene the sun is literally smack bang in the middle of the photo and I've got shaded areas of the garden right here and I can see the sky just as clearly as I can see the details in that shadow of the, the panelling of mm. the wood that I saw. And it, yeah, it just genuinely blew me away. Um, I wasn't really expecting anything quite that good. I was, yeah, I was expecting kind of more Samsung level, like, you know, point and shoot, it will do the job, but you're not going to look at it and be like, damn, that's good. Um, so that was a nice little pleasant surprise though. I think at least for the main camera, they have the advantage that it's it's using the IMX seven six six sensor, which they've now used on loads of phones. Um, yes, and is the mm. that camera is the same one they use in the flagships as, as the main sensor, if I'm unless I'm getting oh, myself okay. confused. Um, so they, you know, Oppo's camera team know that sensor inside out and <laughs> and know how to get the most out of it, right? And I just think that that probably helps them a long way in making sure that that main yeah. camera is going to really deliver. Um, oh, for sure. And is, you know, it's yeah. the ultra wide and the telephoto where they've they've clearly consciously dropped the specs a bit to be more like they're there. Sounds like they're good, but they're not. Yeah, yeah. blowing so, away I mean, even, exceptional. But equally, because you got in that. a way, it's a good thing that it's not like you know full flagship level. Because if it was, the price of this phone would like just even yeah, more expensive. Yeah. 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 What is, yeah, it's I a fair think, point yeah. because I think one of the interesting things about the Find N is that it's obviously expensive, but it is not crazy expensive no. um uh, certainly by foldable standards and the camera is clearly part of how they've achieved that the 60 hertz external display will be part of that um i guess the choice to go for a snapdragon 888 rather than the 8 gen 1 when they were at the point yeah. where they could have put an 8 gen 1 in it around the release timing um but so a few sort of very minor compromises like that but um yeah i mean it's meant that the if you convert the chinese price it's just over twelve hundred dollars mm-hmm. for the for the starting yeah. one. Which, if they ever sold it in in the West, it would cost more than that. To be clear, but yeah. still, that is very impressive pricing. Yeah, it's such a tiny little price for it. <clears throat> and also, uh, battery life was an area that I was quite impressed by because obviously, you know, it's a, a big internal one hundred twenty hertz seven point one inch display. Is that's a lots of power there, and then you've obviously got the outside display and, and everything else. And it's um so it's marginally bigger than the um. Z Fold 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say marginally because it's literally 100 milliamp hours. Yeah. It's a uh, 4500 <laughs> compared to 4400 from Samsung. So yeah, take that Samsung. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, with that, you know, that, that adaptive refresh rate and stuff like that, it was, it was like I was still on my iPhone. Like I just didn't care about battery because I knew that it was going to get me through the day regardless of what I was doing. Like I was, you know, I'm on TikTok, I'm, I'm on Instagram, I'm texting, I'm calling and while I was on holiday, I was even hotspotting on that phone. Right. And 
and I was not, you know, I did not panic at any point. I didn't get to a you know six o'clock a day where I'm like, oh wow, we're down to thirty percent. Like it was solid. And there were a few days where I didn't use it very much. You know, I was using it mainly on the exterior cover display, kind of just quick texts and stuff like that. That lasted two days, and you know, the end of the second day, and still had a little bit, of probably about thirty percent left. So it's kind of yeah, wild. I'm here yeah. for it. <laughs> the charging's a bit slow at thirty three watts. I mean. Yeah, it's not bad, but especially from Oppo, you're used to a lot yeah. faster from them. Exactly. But it's a guess again. It's, it's another area where they've saved a bit of money, but also probably as much as anything saved space because I think the the more intense charging speeds just yeah consume Chomping a bit more space, and you have to th- put in more cooling and stuff like that to make them yeah. to make them work. So I will say it is already thicker than the Huawei and the Samsung. By about 1.5 millimeters so it is the thickest one i think it's, it's 16 millimeters thick when folded um eight mil when it's unfolded um and it's 275 grams i you know that all that on paper it sounds like oh but in the hand you don't really know i think i think the actual the, the chunky nature of, of the folded design gives it more security you don't really notice that heft as much because mm-hmm. there's more to it yeah if it was a small phone and it was weighing 275 grams and i'd be like oh this is that but you know because you know there's more to it it doesn't really it's a psychological thing it's hard to know just looking at it from the screen and i have seen it in person when you unboxed it but i I think it's like slim enough to be able to fit inside slim pockets and stuff like that isn't it oh yeah practicality wise it's like you know it's like oh yeah it's a bit on the thick side but it won't like impede on your day (laughs) or like you know stuff like that it's you know it's it's thick but it's short mm. so it's it's more pocketable than i think than some of the other foldables yeah because yeah. yeah it just takes up the same amount of size as, as a normal phone just a little bit more bulky mm-hmm. my, my impression from seeing it in person as well was that one of the things they've achieved really well i guess we spoke about this a bit earlier but the hand feel of it um yeah the sort of, kind of the curvature of the design it's it's a glass body i if i'm if i'm right though there's some yes, ceramic is, yeah. on the around the camera and that's probably part of the weight is that little bit of ceramic but um, yeah. it feels great in in the hand, and that helps it feel feel comfortable, even though it is quite yeah. thick and bulky. In a way that I think they've yeah. done better than the other big foldables. This yeah, this feels solid in the hand. Like you know, when when you first get when I first looked at the fold free when you had it, Dom, like um, it was. I was scared, kind of you know, like with, with all foldables, mm. like the flip, the fold, any of it. I'm I'm a bit nervous the first time. I'm like, oh, open it, close it. But with this, like, I just. I don't care like it's just it, it feels more solid and i'm more i think i'm very confident in the hinge design and just how it feels in the hand and i you know i've dropped this already i mean yep. embarrassingly i've dropped it onto concrete and you know there's a slight touch on the side but apart from that absolutely nothing happened to did it did you absolutely yep. have a moment so, yeah. of being like <laughs> i was terrified <laughs> safe to say yeah that was a that was a very scary moment when i opened that back up <laughs> I also wonder, is it possible to crack a display that's plastic, like on the internal display, or is it just everything else that breaks around it? Yeah, I don't think you can crack it. Well, I suppose you yeah. could, but I don't think you're likely to crack it in the same way. But the display underneath it can definitely break yeah. and you get that bleed yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't think you're likely to crack it in the way you do a, a, another glass one. A standard phone. Yeah, uh, But it is, yeah, it is a Victus um covered on the front and the back here as yeah. well so you do have that kind of durability on the outer display yeah um i should probably know one one tiny difference between huawei and and this one is that there's a whole punch camera on the inside yeah mm. um so that was obviously a big a, a kind of i think a bit of a weird emission really from huawei's one because you 
you know, that big display, one of the few things it does lend itself to is video calls. And that's something you couldn't do without a selfie camera. And the good thing is that the camera, this 32 meg selfie camera right here is the exact same as the one on the front, right. like in spec. So you don't, it doesn't matter which one you use. Like there is no performance difference there whatsoever. Does it feel weird that it's in the, I don't know how much you've used it for video calling or anything, but is it odd that it's in the top left on quite a wide screen? Like it's common on phones to have the, the hole punch not necessarily be central, but when that's yeah. an inch away from central, it doesn't matter that much. But there it's quite a way away from the middle of the screen, which kind of will have an effect on like the framing and that and that kind of thing. Is Does that feel... I, suppose I, I didn't notice too much of the framing, but I suppose I'm kind of used, used to it with, um, with other phones and stuff like that. I think the bigger thing for me is that he wasn't looking directly at the camera yeah. because right. you're looking centrally at the screen. You're kind of, you're slightly off center when you're talking and yep. that is a bit disconcerting. So um, I think that's been part of the headache they've all had with that central camera is you can't put it in the middle because that's where the hinge is. So you just cannot yeah. put a camera there. Um, <laughs> One step at a time, guys. Of, you can do what Samsung had done, which is put it in the middle of one side, but then it looks really weird, weird and yeah. it looks very unbalanced. Um, obviously they then went for the under display camera Huawei just didn't put one there on the inside at all because clearly they just thought it looked ugly you know, and, and wanted to make the most of it but as you say you then sacrifice those big screen video calls which I do agree is, is a big part of the appeal for people I think probably Oppo's option there is the best for bad bunch yeah yeah I think so this is the one that I'd take and I do like the fact that they are identical cameras as well so you're not Yes, getting a downgrade depending on which one you go for when yeah. you want to do your video chats as well. Bit of a technicality and, um, question on that. You, can you? When, oh yeah. So, like, if you're like, say, you're taking a camera or you're in the middle of a video call, could you change seamlessly between them? Oh, I imagine. I haven't tested it, but I imagine so. It should because the um, continuity thing works should work across all apps, yeah. but. Will it switch cameras? Yeah, that is that's, an I, don't, I don't know. I don't yeah, know how yeah. often you would need to do that. Yeah. But like, yeah, I'm just curious. Like, well, I'm going to do a video call after yeah. this. Uh, <laughs> find out what happens. Yeah, yeah. Add that to the review. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really consider that before. That's uh, an interesting one. Yeah. Um, I'd say that the software would work, but I'm not too sure about the camera whether that would switch. Yeah, I would have thought um, they'd have baked that in. I feel like I've tried that on, say, the Huawei, but I might be making that up. I'm, I'm not sure. It does feel to me like something they would try and make make work. Yeah, yeah. But yeah worth trying. Also, um, I just want to say one of the, my favorite little features of this is that you can, when you're taking a picture of the inside, you can turn the outside display on. And you get yep. a little preview. Ooh. I love that. So yeah, the person you're taking a picture of can get a little preview of what you're taking a photo of. Um, so yeah, that's the Oppo Find N. It yep. is hands down my favorite favorite foldable on the market i'm absolutely gutted that you can't buy it officially in the uk and i hope 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 that uh the rumors about the oneplus foldable are true and this does make it here because the software obviously being china only wasn't great i had to install google play myself and a few other bits and bobs like that um so yeah if we had oxygen os on this hardware yeah, watch out, Samsung. Yeah, I have to agree. Obviously, I'm a I'm a huge fan of my clamshell foldable. So the, for me, the the flip still takes takes the crown. But of, of course, the book yeah. style, that one is the favorite. I, I haven't tried it extensively, but from even just a few minutes with it, it kind of felt hands down like the best of them. Uh, obviously, having not tried the Vivo X Fold since that 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 was only yeah, revealed course, yeah. very very recently. Um, 
but yeah, wow, I really hope either whether it's as an Oppo or a OnePlus or even a Realme, I hope it turns Anything. up in the West. Um, I'll that take or it. some or some future version of it because yeah. for a, for their first foldable, they really exactly. knocked it out of the park. Exactly, and it's wild because you know n- none of Xiaomi, Samsung, or Huawei managed to do that well first time out, and. Admittedly, they all tried earlier than Oppo did, but still, they yeah. <laughs> they didn't do as well first time. Um, and it certainly is the kind of phone that feels like it puts the lie to the Apple kind of line of, oh, we've got to wait till it's ready. Because you look at that, and it's like, if Oppo can first time put that hardware out, like it's yeah. ready. You know, there's no reason ready. not yeah. to be making a foldable like that anymore. But Apple always and do Apple wait, don't they? They always wait. And I guess Oppo's, Oppo's thing of them Annoyingly. waiting, they've been able to produce this. So, you know, fingers crossed yeah. we'll see that Apple foldable come to fruition. All right, let's move on uh, to talk about Netflix for a little bit. I know Netflix is not a phone, but Netflix is sometimes <laughs> on phones. Um, <clears throat> no, so I think it counts <laughs> just about. Um, yeah, Netflix had a rubbish week, didn't they? So they had a, uh, I think, how do you, was it an investor call that yeah. all of this came investor out of? Or an call, at least yeah. investor report, yeah. Um, and basically Netflix confirmed that I think for its first time, it dropped subscribers in, in a quarter. So over Q1 2022, it dropped subscribers after continuous growth. We'd kind of known this was coming because its growth Mm -hmm. rate had been slowing and things like that. So it was always a matter of time before we hit the quarter where Netflix hit its peak fundamentally and started to go in the other direction. Um, And I think everyone was beginning to sense it was probably this year. And if it wasn't this year, it was next. But uh, it did happen in Q1. Um, and they confirmed that they have lost 200,000 subscribers across the quarter. Um, now, there's a big caveat to that, which is that they lost 700,000 subscribers when they shut their Russian business in response to the war. So if you do the maths, they actually gained 500,000 subscribers yeah. everywhere else, which suddenly makes you think, oh, well, actually, this has all been misreported and they're fine. It's just they took a hit because they, they took a stand on Russia. But they're <laughs> forecasting for Q2, like the next three months, have them set to lose a further 2 million. Ooh. So even though technically they are still gaining subscribers once you set Russia aside, Netflix themselves are looking and saying, but we're about to start yeah. losing them. <laughs> and their target for Q1 was to gain 2.5 million. Yeah, so they were way below target no matter what. Um, which, as we all know with this stuff, is is actually, in a way, more important than what you actually do, is how you do in your relationship targets and whatever you want to look at it. Even if they hadn't lost those Russian numbers, they would still be well short of that growth target. Um, so, yeah, subscribers are down. Um, with that came massive hit on their stock after after the call. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, uh, the BBC says that they it wiped more than 50 billion off their market value, um, which is a, a pretty silly big number. Um, and it also prompted, uh, as part of the investor call, the, the Netflix CEO basically confirmed that, this again got a bit misreported maybe, they basically confirmed that they are looking at doing an ad-supported tier eventually. And this has been reported as Netflix is adding an ad tier, um, which isn't quite what they said. (laughs) You know, it's more like, yeah, they're probably doing an ad tier and they're at least exploring it. Whereas previously they've denied even looking at it really. And they've been very brusque in the past. They're like, no, we're not doing an ad tier. It's not, we had no interest. 
it's more like now they've had to reluctantly say fine yeah we okay. might have to look at that uh, <laughs> and we won't it'll be a year or two before it happens because we're only just now beginning to look at it but fine the numbers are bad we'll have to back down on that point and 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 start considering it so i think if you read some of the headlines out you'll probably get the impression that next week there's going to be a you know three dollar a month ad ad, ad version <laughs> and um, would be nice. there, there will not be i don't think i mean maybe they've maybe they're planning to surprise us but yeah i mean it, it's been an interesting one the way this has all been discussed because from my perspective there's been an awful lot of catastrophizing around this which i think is inevitable with the way this stuff kind of happens and especially when you see the way the stock price uh, the stock value just yeah. dove and a lot of people sold but um there's a lot of talk as if this is the end of Netflix and Netflix is doomed and you see a lot of people on Twitter say, well, it's obvious because they're terrible and they've got no good movies anymore and the catalogue's crap and it's kind of like, well, okay. They're still by a long way the biggest player yeah. in the streaming space. Mm -hmm. They still have an enormous catalogue with loads of things people love. And for all people may say, oh, it's because it's all crap when you look. It's like, yeah, okay. There are, there's a discussion to be had there, but Stranger <laughs> Things 4 comes next month and it's going to be one of the biggest shows of the year, hands down. The Witcher is still absolutely enormous. Um, they've still got loads of shows. Bridgerton, you know, is a new show. That's only on its second season. Squid Game's only had one season. And these shows are enormous worldwide phenomenon that really only Disney Plus can match in terms of the yeah. draw they're getting with individual shows so you can catastrophe all you want but like there's nothing amazon prime can do that is close to matching what netflix is doing in terms of its its appeal of its content right now yeah amazon prime is the worst yet yes, they got that lord of the Rings show they're banking <laughs> on aren't they <laughs> yeah and you know they have their moments and they have big stuff in the works and you know they're putting up a fight don't get me wrong but i think people are very quick to be like well that's it netflix yeah. is out and you just look at it's it so and it's not true and of course it's the challenge they've got is there's way more competition than there used to be. You know, we've seen yeah. Disney Plus, Paramount oh, Plus, yeah. all these other p services launch in, in, in the last few years. Apple, obviously. Um, but one of the things that I think gets forgotten when people talk about all that competition and the way people are going to have to choose which ones to subscribe to is that one of Netflix's strengths and weaknesses is that it doesn't have a niche. It is yeah. just TV and movies. Yeah. All kinds of TV and movies. Every genre you want will be represented. Every level of maturity from family friendly up to gory 18 rated horrors are going to be there. And none of the others really... Amazon Prime also offers that. You know, they're the other one playing in that kind of space. But say Disney, although Disney obviously it has the Fox library and so it, in a way it does have all that range, that's not how it markets itself. It's not marketing no. it as a range. It's marketed as... The Disney service. And when we talk about how Disney Plus is killing it, what we mean is it's got Pixar and Star Wars and Marvel and it's killing it because people want to watch all that stuff. And that's totally true. Yeah. I don't want to knock Disney Plus, but it's got a niche and it's going to own that niche. And that's why it can be cheaper than Netflix. It's a niche product. But not that many people are going to take Disney Plus as their only streaming service, like <laughs> yeah. long term. Because it's very narrow. Um, Apple, even more so, they're trying to do oh, lots yeah. of styles of content. Um, but really, everything they do is prestige. If you wanted to try mm -hmm. and narrow them down to something, everything is prestige content. Nothing is trash. And again, it's just got a small library. Mm -hmm. So no yeah. one's... Maybe there's some Apple diehards out there. I don't know. But for you people are going, Apple TV Plus is like my only streaming service. That covers me. Um, 
and Paramount Plus, exact same thing. It's niche. All, all of these, you know, other than Amazon, no one else is trying to do it, do it all like Netflix is. Yeah. And that's kind of why for me, I think just pointing and saying, well, they've got loads of competition and the competition's cheaper. It's kind of missing the point because, well, of course, Disney Plus is cheaper. It's less than Netflix, you know, I think it gives you less. So they charge you less. I think the part of the bad reaction, it, like online especially, has come because this has come off the back of the the price hikes, which like couldn't have come at like a worse time. Like, oh, I know. It yeah. Really couldn't have. And like you know, it's the premium tier especially is absolutely extortionate. It's twenty dollars a month in the US, sixteen pounds mm. over here, and that was up by like a couple of pounds, a couple of dollars. So that's like literally more expensive than all the other major t- TV streaming services without live TV. Um, and then like literally days later, they were like, oh, we're going to start cracking down on password sharing. Um, yeah. And they've sort of announced this in their investor call saying that this is one of the main reasons they're losing revenue. And um, they estimate yeah. there are over a hundred million households that are choosing to view Netflix and share it basically. And they were like, we can get all the revenue from them. But it's like, yes, but, you're not you're not going to get everybody on there who's going to want to oh, pay yeah. extra like the whole yep. it, yeah it it's a big gamble for them because they there are around 200 million subscribers and so if they're accurate that there's 100 million out there <laughs> who are using it without paying for audience. it fundamentally a third of their audience then to be fair they don't need to get all of those people to have significant growth compared to what they've already got so i kind of see what they're thinking here um, but yeah, it feels like it's completely the wrong tack, and it's it puts me of a mind of those um, at the point where the industry shifted, piracy was dominant, and the streaming services kind of rose out out of that to beat piracy was yeah. basically by saying, well, if we're just affordable and convenient, people won't bother pirating anymore. And Netflix is kind of like it's trying to beat what it sees as piracy fundamentally, but its approach to do that is to be draconian and raise prices, and it's sort of like. Yeah. Yeah, that's what the studios tried for a while, and it didn't work out that well. You're going to encourage the thing piracy. Is, yeah, yeah. people are looking at yeah. the reason people share an account is because they're like, well, I can, and why should I pay if I don't need to? And it's kind of expensive. And it's partly Netflix suffered because, again, part of the reason it feels expensive is it feels like, well, I need Netflix, but I also need Amazon, I also want Disney, and I also want Apple, and suddenly it's expensive. Um, and Netflix is the most expensive of the lot, and it's the one you can be guaranteed to have a partner or a close friend or a parent <laughs> or whatever who, who has an account who you can share with because enough people oh, yeah. have it that it's way easier yeah. to account share is the, is the perverse thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like they, they even admit that raising prices um, cost them 600,000 North American subscribers. Ooh. That's the hit they took from their price hike. And... I just can't see long term that their fix can be fewer subscribers for more money. No. Yeah. Because that's it's nothing else it's incompatible with the fact that they're also still chasing subscriber growth and that all this panic came from a drop in subscriber numbers. That their strategy is to raise prices and charge more to fewer people. They and it won't work because their 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 market dominance disappears and that's kind of what they rely on. Yeah, and they yeah. also just they don't offer like even prices aside, they don't offer any other incentives or discounts in the same way that others do. Like they don't offer annual subscriptions that you know can like c- clock off a couple of five quid or whatever. 
and then they'd be locking people in for a year, but they they don't do it. Um, they don't offer, you know, if you cancel Netflix, there's no real incentive to stay. stay. You can you can <laughs> yeah, you could be yeah. like, right, Stranger Things is coming out, you know, in a month, so I'm just going to cancel until it comes out. And um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see like you know, an up- if you looked at it month to month to see like upticks when big shows come out and drop offs. Oh, for sure. Well, and again, especially now in the market in the market where they have competition, that's certainly how I use some of these streaming services. I'll subscribe to Apple for a month to watch something when it's out, and then I'll let it lapse for six months till the next thing, and I'll wait and let them build up. You know, I really want to watch Severance, but I'll wait for the next season of Ted Lasso <laughs> to drop. Then I'll subscribe yeah. for one month to watch both of them together and then let it go again and and that's i'm sure how a lot of people are now approaching this in the in a market where certainly especially in the us with hbo max as well which we haven't mentioned you know you've got four or five big streaming services you might want to be paying for um and you're not going to sustain them all but i mean you know I, i'm sure i've had the, the capitalist rant before but netflix is kind of a victim of the system here in a perverse way though obviously complicit but they have to chase perpetual growth it's the only yeah. way their investors and their shareholders will be happy is if every quarter is bigger than the last quarter. It is not okay for Netflix to just get to a point where they say, well, we're by a long way the biggest streaming service in the world. We're enormous. We've got 200 million subscribers. We've got massive revenue. Cool. We're going to stay good. here. We're going to stay at this size. Yeah. This is a great size. We can make loads of money at this size. We'll cut down on our production a bit to you know, reduce our outgoings. Income is set because we know we've got 200 million subs and they're going to keep playing as X per month and we're going to rake it in. And cool, we'll just sit here being enormous. They can't do that. You know, yes, this time they did lose subs, depending on how you do the math with Russia. But even if their subs hadn't grown, it still would have been seen as a disaster for Netflix. Um, And that's why we see them trying to crack down on password sharing is because they have to find new subscribers somewhere. Yeah. And... They've run out, at least in the West. They have just complete market saturation. Um, and maybe in other markets around the world, maybe in South America or in parts of Asia, there's still space for them to get more people on board. But in North America, like anyone who would sign up for Netflix already has. Like mm. They've yeah. either had them or not had them, and they're, ne- they're not going to win anyone new over except new people growing up. So they have to chase after these these people that uh, slip through the cracks in a password sharing. It's the only way they can still get growth. Yeah. And they feel like they need growth, so they have to do it. But they're shooting themselves in the foot because they're going to torch their relationship with their current subscribers to do it. But if they didn't do it, they'd torch their relationship with their shareholders, so they can't win. But The other thing that they mentioned about saving costs on, which I think probably at this point, it might be too little too late, but they said that you know they're going to scale back on the amount of content that they're doing. Um, and, I mean, it's worth bearing in mind that the company... This year is the first time that they're wanting to be cash flow positive. They've been in reliant on borrowing money um, for, I think it's about 16 billion worth of debt um, that they've been doing. And it's like, it's all probably been down to the amount of content that they've been shoving on the platform, which you think we we were saying this, that, you know, that it's the big shows that are drawing people in and are going to retain. So why is there so much crap on there you know there is a waste of money and it's like it's clearly it's been shown that you know like hbo max with euphoria and disney plus like with the mandalorian that one show if you put enough in that that can be enough to draw people in so they need to like Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah they need to prioritize a bit more here 
And I think they are going to have to pivot a bit like that. I think what Netflix thought was the approach was... Because they obviously had that turning point maybe five, six years ago or whatever, where they decided we don't want to be reliant on licensed content. We want to have yeah. our own content and for that to be the core thing. And for a little while, they just like set fire to their content library and then realized people were unhappy because they couldn't find movies and stuff anymore. So they kind of turned that around and they started licensing stuff more actively again. But equally, part of their approach all along has been we want to make enough originals to have a full deep library even without yeah. licensing. Um, and they kind of have to because they don't have a back catalogue to play with. HBO has all of the Warner stuff. Mm -hmm. Disney obviously has all of the Fox and Disney stuff. Paramount has all of the Paramount stuff. You know, the rivals have, you know, decades worth of content ready to go that Netflix just doesn't. And they're not going to license stuff to Netflix anymore uh, because now they have their own services. But um, yeah, they're, they're, it's not sustainable. And it was never going to be sustainable. Um, I think the problem, or one of the problems they have, right, is you talk about the debt they have, the 16 billion, and how they're finally, you know, after over a decade of, of life as a regular streaming service, they're, they're ready to be cash flow positive. We've seen that business model elsewhere, right? That's Uber. It's the same thing. Uber ran, runs, at, runs at a loss, but it's all about getting market domination, and then you start being profitable once you're too big to fail. Yeah. Because at that point you can crank up prices, you can do all that stuff, and it doesn't matter. You you dominate the market. You've got a user base. You can you can milk them dry. Netflix has basically been trying that model, right? Um, get big enough that it is the streaming service, then it can start raising prices to start actually turning a profit again. The problem is, Uber has one competitor in every market it's in. None of those competitors are global. It doesn't, you know, it is still dominant. Netflix yeah. is not dominant. I don't think it predicted how well. Disney and Paramount and Warner would do with their own rival platforms. Yeah. And so probably the plan was by this time, it would still just be Netflix and Amazon really. And then Netflix could start raising prices and it would all work out and it would start making money hand over fist. But now it's actually got competition. Yeah. <laughs> and that competition and the stage is left. Disney you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's worth saying as well. So during that really horrible time of PR where they price hyped and password share and everything, Disney were very clever and unveiled that they're going to do an ad-supported tier later this year. <laughs> so suddenly yep. it's like, well, not only are they undercutting Netflix by loads already, but they're going to, like, we don't actually know they're the prices, cheaper. but if it's an ad-supported tier and we were to look at, like, Hulu, who also have an ad-supported tier and the prices of that, it could even undercut Netflix basic tier, which only offers, like, stand, um, standard definition streaming, no simultaneous streams, stuff like that. It's like, yep. so, you know, so, they kind of really didn't have a choice here to, to, you know, say, no, we're not going to do ad-supported stuff anymore because it's like, you can't really take back the price hikes. So, not much you can do, really. I mean, I mean let's turn to that now before we wrap up. It, do, do you think then that an ad tier is, is the right move for Netflix? Do you think that's going to help stem the bleed for them? Yeah, I do, but it depends on how they do it. Um I think if they limit it to just the basic tier, then you're going to have a problem because that's going to be a bit of a poor streaming experience for people. Um, mm -hmm. I think the, the smartest way to do it would be to, I mean, you might be getting complicated on pricing here, but to be able to offer it on all the tiers or somehow make it, you know, either get rid of basic entirely and replace it for something cheaper 
they, they need to offer simultaneous streams and better quality and keep the ads and be able to stand with the others on there. And if they're not, then I think it's going to be tough. I've got to admit, I'm a skeptic about ad tiers like this on these streaming services, because I think, especially for someone like Netflix, I think they work for smaller services that basically have that problem of they need to build an audience. And if you have a cheap tier with a lower barrier to entry, someone's more likely to say, uh, well, it's only, a, you know, four bucks a month. I can spend four bucks on my first month and try it out and see if I like it or not, um, or things like that. Certainly it works for that. I just want to watch the new Marvel show, pay four bucks, put up with ads, and I get the Marvel show, and then I then I unsubscribe or whatever. Um, I don't know that it works for someone like Netflix, where what they're trying to do is maintain an existing user base who are either paying or not paying and persuade all those people to stay with them and i don't see that many regular netflix users taking a move choosing to move to a lower cheaper tier because it has ads and i don't see that many of the account sharers choosing to say well now i can watch it with ads i will sign up and pay them um yeah and again, it all smacks to me of that point where people were trying to handle piracy 15, 20 years ago or whatever. And I just see all of this backfiring. And as services like Plex get really good, people are going to look at this and say, well, yeah, I can pay for Netflix and watch ads, or I can just watch it for free with no ads. Like mm. the pirated version is getting better yeah. and better relative to the paid version. And that's exactly what went wrong before. There was a point mm -hmm. where pirating was easier and more convenient and a superior quality experience to what you got when you gave the companies money for it so of course yeah. more and more people pirated and we're seeing that exact shift happen again and i think the move to ads is actually just going to really entrench that view in people mm. and more and more people are going to say why would i pay the money and still get advertised to yeah yeah when i can just right, go pirate yeah. it and get neither I think I'd probably go down that route. I do not want to pay for anything that has adverts in it. If it's free and it's got adverts in it, fine. Yeah. But I'm not paying any money and then still getting adverts. Like that yeah. is just not the vibe for yeah. me. Free ad tiers games. make a lot of sense to me. Like uh, when I want to watch, I don't watch that much anime, anime, but I do every now and then. So the fact that I can watch Crunchyroll for free and be bombarded with ads and I'm like, you know what? This is fine. fine. I don't feel the need yeah. to pay for it because I don't watch enough anime to justify a subscription. And so I'm getting it for free. If I have to deal with an ad break every five minutes, cool that's you know saves me the effort of tracking down a pirated copy or whatever and it's fair play yeah but if i'm going to pay a five or a month and still get advertised to even if i know i'm on the cheapest tier if i'm paying and they're still throwing ads at me like absolutely not i've got no interest in that yeah and then that's that's yeah. uh tough news for netflix isn't it then because it's like well what's what's the what's it's the like, answer what, do, what do you do like yeah 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 rename yourself to pirate bay and just make make torrenting cool again <laughs> i mean i think they need to recognize the ecosystem has changed and they can't act like they're the dominant player anymore and they are they are still the dominant yeah. player they are the big fish but like I, they can't act like they're the only fish you know so they no. need to lower their prices accept account sharing you know in the way that disney lets you have one account between eight people or something Netflix needs to just build that into the model that this is what yeah. it is. And if they, I think already their tiers acknowledge how many profiles you can have, just accept it. Account sharing happens, build yeah. the profiles up so that people really feel like, well, I want my own profile, you know, so max out the accounts on how, you know, tier them based on how many people you can share it with, how many profiles you get. That will encourage a big subset of people to make decisions based on that. Um, and then they just need to spend a whole lot less on production. 
And as you said, yes. focus on they can still be the net do the Netflix thing where they try and have breadth of content and have more breadth than all of their rivals do, but not to the extent that they flood it with rubbish, you know, which is where they sit a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They don't need three new shows every week, and that's kind of where they are at the moment. Yeah, just give me one good one a month and I'll be happy. Yeah. <laughs> I also honestly wonder, and I don't know if they'd ever do this, but I honestly wonder if they should ditch the binge and move back to weekly releases. I was just thinking that. It works better for every other streaming service. Mm-hmm. Almost yep. everyone, I, I certainly as a viewer prefer it. I know not everyone does, but I think a lot of people do. And again, if you're going to have that, part of the reason they need to produce so much is because when they drop Stranger Things, it will be the biggest show in the world for one for week. week. Do you know what else yeah. is dropping yeah. at that time <laughs> as well? Obi-Wan. And that's a weekly yeah, right. release. Uh, and it's like... Exactly. Obi-Wan will be the other biggest show for a full month. Mm-hmm. Moon Knight is the biggest show right now for, for a six-week run. Yeah. You know, they get yeah. that excitement, that buzz, that you are, oh, you need to sign up and watch this for, for weeks on end. And it, Netflix needs to scale down its production. But if it's going to scale down its production, I think it needs to start spreading out its releases. It could, it could even do yeah. like an Amazon model where they do like three episodes, drop at once, and then do it weekly release, like find a yeah, hybrid. Like, and again, that's find, what Obi-Wan yeah. is doing. Yeah. Two, two on release day and then then spread the rest out. You know, you can give that kind of feeling of a binge um, at, at the beginning. But yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it, it would make sense for Netflix right now when they're producing, a, you know, limitless quantities of content. But that clearly isn't sustainable for them. Yeah, They admit they're going to have to scale that back. And I think as part of that, the binge model won't work with a scaled back content library. When you think about Strange Things as well, it lends itself so <laughs> well to a week. It would oh. lend itself so well because nearly every episode ends on a cliffhanger. So it's like, yep. you'd, you would keep people subscribed. You would. The hype yeah. over Stranger Things rolling out over, over two months would yeah, it'd be a massive game changer for them. And I don't. I don't understand why they haven't seen the writing on the wall there. Uh, well, they split it into two. So I guess their argument is, you know, like, first half gets a, a certain time and whatever. But still, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and again, to be fair, in a way, that's a new lesson. It's only kind of two years ago that really Disney came in and proved that you can make the weekly release work. Other people were doing it, but when Amazon did weekly releases, it's not like they dominated social media for weeks on end. Mm. So Netflix yeah. probably felt like they had the right of it. And it's Disney that really proved, oh no, we can do a weekly we release and we can still yeah. be every Wednesday. We are the biggest thing on Twitter. Yeah. Broadcast and TV got something right. Can you believe it? Okay, I think they'll have to do this for now. I thought today would be a short episode and here we are almost an hour and a half. Thank Good you, chat. Lewis and Hannah, for joining me and thank you to everyone who has been watching and listening. Uh, we will be back same time, same place next week. I know we will be able to talk about the Vivo X80 series launch. I think the Poco F4 launches next week, so we get to talk about that as well. Uh, we can talk about the brand new, completely unexpected, surprise-filled OnePlus 10R. You know, what Whoa. what could be in that phone? What? I just can't imagine what OnePlus has up its sleeve there. It's mysteries. Complete black box. Uh, yeah, we'll be back then. So please come back and uh, tune in to find out what we think of all of that stuff. In the meantime, if you're with us on YouTube, then do like and subscribe. It really does help the channel. So yeah, thank you and bye for now. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>